All right. Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. And the show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making people healthier in this world. I'm really excited today. I've been waiting for this one for a while. Uh, I have Dan Trigob on the show. And Dan is the head of Uber Health. He's been focused on their efforts for the the, uh, you know, obviously Uber is a tremendous transportation platform, a world-class transportation platform, and uh, he's leading all their health efforts, which is really super exciting. But anyway, I'm not going to steal Dan's thunder. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Anthony. Thanks so much for having me today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, well, Dan, I love origin stories, uh, and I, I'm very curious and fascinated on you know, the series of steps and events that you went through throughout your life to kind of make you into the person you are today, or said another way, I'd love to hear about your origin story. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for, uh, thanks again for taking the time today to, to chat with me. So absolutely. a little bit about myself. I, um, I've been in healthcare for over a decade now, uh, in a variety of different ways, both professionally and, and personally. So, you know, I think healthcare, as we all know, is a very complicated sometimes convoluted, sometimes um, uh, not not for the better of, of society uh, system uh, here, especially in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you yeah, know, I've experienced it in a multitude of ways. Uh, you know, one thing that I think is, is part of my core is I'm, I'm first-generation American. So my, my entire family, including my sister, were, were immigrants to the United States from the former Soviet Union and, mm-hmm. and me being the first one in my family born here. And I think that that kind of grit and, and passion to succeed and you know, certainly nothing is given to you comes from that, that core background. Uh, my, my grandmother also came here from the former Soviet Union, from where my whole family immigrated from. And she landed and found herself in New York City. And she was in her 90s, pretty ambulatory, pretty capable of getting around. Um, however, I would argue she was severely socially isolated and lacked independence simply because of transportation. Um, the only time she would leave her apartment in Queens, New York, was maybe once a week when my father and I would come visit her. Um, and uh, when we did, she was able to go around, but every other day of that week, she was she was in the confines of her apartment. So we were, you know, essentially a caretaker with my parents for my grandmother who lived by herself. Um, in addition to that, I, I've worked in healthcare a variety of different ways from consulting, investment banking. I had my own startup that was uh, part of Rock Health, which is a digital healthcare uh, accelerator here in, in the Bay Area. Um, so we're venture funded by them and, and their network. Um, and, and being a caretaker for my, for my grandmother, I always saw how transportation was such a barrier to care. My, my wife's family, who I've known for over 15 years now, they also operate one of the largest home care businesses in the Bay Area. So mm-hmm. helping our aging population here in the Bay Area. Um, and again, I, I saw that operation, got to know that business just at a high level. Uh, and again, have always seen how, how transportation does affect our aging, low income, at risk populations quite drastically. I love it. I love it. Yeah, no, this is a powerful background. I, and I definitely can resonate. drive to this day. And so, um, so I know exactly what, what, what you're talking about here. And so very profound 
um, set of companies and projects that you've been involved with. And it uh, sounds like it's it's led you to this like ultimate role of being able to scale and grow and make such an even deeper impact than what you already have in this in this transportation space, specifically for this population segment. Dan, can you tell me a little bit about some of the things you're working on today or more specifically the topics in health that are really capturing your fascination at a deeper level? Just love to understand what those are and, and why. Yeah, so I mean, I think, you know, at a high level, I always like to answer questions like that is I think, you know, times are certainly changing. And I think mm-hmm. transportation and ride share and its place within healthcare is, is drastically changing and, and, and mm-hmm. quite quickly. I think, you know, I've been at the intersection of ride share and healthcare for, for over three years now. So originally mm-hmm. at, at, at the other ride share company here in the U.S. and now, now here at Uber. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think three years ago, the conversation was, what the heck is a rideshare company who takes a millennial to a bar on a Friday night? What, what, what the heck are they doing in healthcare? <laughs> um, and I think the times have really shifted. And uh, with the data, the work, the partnerships that have been done, I think uh, now the conversation is, all right, how do we make it happen? I think uh, for us at Uber, our mission statement is to ignite opportunity by setting the world in motion. And I think that can mean a lot of different things. Uh, I think it can mean a lot of different things depending on where, what part of the globe you're, you're sitting in. Um, but for, for me and for me personally, I think when we can look at what this platform we have here can do, especially for our aging, low income, at risk populations, I think it's profound. And I think that platform is key. And when you ask, you know, what are, what are we working on? What is the future? You know, for me is how do we leverage this platform this infrastructure we have around mobility and logistics to really impact everyone and, and certainly have outsized impact in some of those populations I mentioned, because we know that transportation without it, with a lack of transportation, people do not get the care that they need, and it can have a profound impact on health outcomes of populations. Um, and then taking a step further, I think with now the push to value-based care, I think mm-hmm. as our system is looking at uh, social determinants of health and healthcare is way more than just getting to a doctor's appointment. How do we leverage this platform to get people what they need when they need it most? Um, and certainly that can be going to a doctor's office, but it can also be getting a hot, healthy meal for someone who lives in a food desert. Uh, so really addressing things like food insecurity with our, our infrastructure here that we have at Uber. Uh, mm-hmm. It also can be things in the future like accessing durable medical equipment, a pharmaceutical uh, uh, product. So yeah, I think we're really just at the tip of the iceberg, but right. we're really uh, well positioned to have an impact. I love it. I love it. And, you know, as you probably heard from previous episodes, then obviously the hot topic and obviously strategically on, in your perspective, social determinants of health is, is definitely something that's coming about more and more from a variety of factors. And obviously, as we move towards value base, you know, we start to look at all these different dimensions and, and, uh, you know, not just transportation and delivery and meals, but, you know, food insecurity or ways to pay for healthcare. So it's exciting to see what you guys are doing and how you, how you guys are spanning out into this area. I guess, um, yeah, I guess my follow up question to that is, is more about, you know, how, 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 how do the social determinants of health, uh, in related to all things like transportation, you know, why is this coming about all of a sudden as well? Is it, is it just because we're moving to a value-based model or, or, you know, I'd love to hear your mental model for how you think of the social determinants of health in a deeper level. And then another 
kind of follow up, not to ask you 17 questions in one here, Dan, but <laughs> um, a lot of this population as well that are faced with these social factors are elderly, right? And so they may not have access to a smartphone or a computer. And so just curious how, how you're thinking about, you know, uh, getting that journey, right, and connecting them with the right, you know, transportation resource, connecting them with the right meal and things like that. So just love to hear how you're thinking about, like, connecting with this, this, this segment and just hearing your mental model going a little bit deeper on the social determinants piece. Yeah, so I think on the social determinants piece, um, it, it's obviously the big buzzword, and I think everyone is saying it when you talk to leaders right. and industry experts, and I think, you know, maybe at a point now being over <laughs> overutilized, uh, that, that term. I think at a high level, um, you know, as, as, that, as, as we understand it and, you know, you talk to folks, uh, it's looking at, you know, a specific group of social economic factors that really impact uh, broader determinants of health, right? So uh, mm-hmm. I think, you know, depending on who you ask, there's probably like 10, 12 or so that, that really matters, uh, those factors. Right. Uh, they all incorporate, you know, personal, social, economic um environmental thing, uh, components that, that impact people's day-to-day lives. And I think, you know, before this whole rhetoric and conversation, it was really, um, you know, people thought it was very simple, black and white, just, just getting somebody to a doctor's office and that, and, and that, that will lead to be- the best outcomes possible if they need to go see a PCP. Um, right. And I think, you know, in talking to industry experts and leaders, spending a lot of time traveling the country, meeting with healthcare executives, you know, the times are really changing. I recently met with a CFO at a hospital, and they're looking at paying to get their patients to church, uh, to get them out in, in the uh, in the community and be active with other people because they know that data shows that you know people who, who go to church and are socially active will tend to do better in the long run and tend to have better health outcomes. So, uh, with value based care and, and that whole model of shifting towards uh, you know, really reimbursement models and uh, payment infrastructure where people are getting incentivized to have better outcomes. I think all this is on the table. What's really unique about transportation is, for lack of better words, it's really the low-hanging fruit. It's, it's really, it's not that complex. It's not that crazy. It's not, we're not talking about like artificial intelligence and blockchain here. We're really just simply talking about getting somebody to uh, a location at the time and when and where they need it. And I think with the growth of rideshare in, in a short, very short period of time of you know, 10 years or so, um, we can now do that instantly with the click of a button. And right. we can do that uh, cost effectively. We can reduce waste, fraud, and abuse because it's not paper, pen, receipts anymore. Uh, and then ultimately provide a better experience for plan members and patients. Now, to your second question about the aging population, which we know is growing at a staggering rate, mm-hmm. 10,000 people a day turn 65. We have more people now 65 or older than we'll, we've ever had in the history of our uh, of our existence, and it's only going to grow. Uh, and that's also going to put extraordinary burden on our healthcare system. You know, we need to develop ways and solutions where our aging population can instantly access Uber uh, without having to have a smartphone, without having to know how to use a smartphone. Um, without even having a Uber account. Uh, and that's exactly what we've done with Uber Health. Um, and our infrastructure is really making it as simple as pushing a button. Right. Right. Yeah, no, Dan, this is super powerful. And, and, and then along the lines of um, 
the value-based movement, right? You know, so like with the rides and a lot of the stuff that Uber's doing, uh, I can imagine that there's these new innovative services that obviously you can statistically show you're going to make an impact on reducing the readmit rates, making sure they get their follow-up appointment. They don't fall off the rails like post-discharge, right? And doing their next best action. They're, 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 they're improving that their health. Um, do you see opportunities for, you know, these, these, you know, Uber type services and transportation type services being, um, you know, more systematically plugged into the bundle. So it becomes a part of like, you know, here's a specific, you know, piece of the bundle payment or a DRG for a cardiology procedure, oncology procedure that could be specifically geared for, you know, uh, for transportation or meal delivery. And, and is there a deeper plug-in opportunity here to, you know, and, and so, um, I'm just thinking out loud. I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, I think I, I think there's a lot of opportunity. I think you kind of hit some of the key ones uh, on, on the head. I think, you know, the grand scheme of things, it's crazy. It feels like an eternity, but we've only really been at this uh, for a couple of years. We're still, I think, at the tip of the iceberg. And as right. very large health system tells me every single time I talk to them is, you know, their internal model uh, motto is TTT, things take time. Right, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're not... Yeah, healthcare is very complex with lots of different stakeholders that are very large and big and right. time. And I think, you know, we are at the tip of the iceberg. But I do think uh, we're, we're at the cusp of, of some really you know, bigger uh, partnerships and opportunities. I think uh, embedding with DRG codes, and I think, uh, you know, we're starting to see a little bit on the Medicare Advantage side with uh, MA plans really embedding transportation quite closely. And there's some that have been very progressive around it. I right. Think we're, you know, in... 2020 planning right now and many plans are going to be coming out with their offerings and i think you're you'll see more and more having transportation as a key component of it um so yeah i mean to answer your question i think we're we're still early days but there's lots of um you know lots of things that are going to be happening in the next couple of years yeah no this is this is awesome i mean it's 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 super fascinating what you guys are doing and you know the phenomenon that you're ushering in you know really kind of there's almost been like zero activity, zero opportunity to have anything systematic related to transportation, delivery, and the social factors for this segment, like ever. <laughs> and you guys are coming out of nowhere and help, you know, looking to, to plug a big hole. It's just, it's just super, super exciting. I guess um, I'd love to, along those lines of kind of like 2020, but even beyond, I'd love to hear your vision or what's, what's the, what's the future of healthcare look like according to Dan? So, and it, I mean that's that's a that's a daunting question. Um, <laughs> so just like broadly speaking, for Uber, uh, how should we tackle that? Yeah, I think I think more in lines of you know, I guess in a bridge to that, right? So there's some interesting phenomenon happening with like EHR companies, CRM companies coming in, cloud companies coming into healthcare. There's genomics. Uh, there are opportunities to. Um, you know, biologically help patients and obviously what you guys are doing on the transportation end. So all these like major shifts, I know a lot of that is like broad uh, and, and can go deep and wide, but just love to see how you, you know, what, where do you see healthcare going like in the future, maybe like over the next like five to 10 years, you know, what are some things that you see in that future happening and what, 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 what new flows are happening or are people, are we getting healthier as a, as a, as an overall population and things like that? Yeah, I mean, so I think at, at a broad level, I think, you know, definitely a push more towards value-based care. I think mm -hmm. that's uh, that's going to be a trend that we're going to see more and more uh, mm -hmm. in the next couple of years. 
I think too, kind of along those lines are kind of tangential to that is certainly uh, aging in place. I think, um, you know, with our growing aging population, I think, you know, the burden it's going to put on current infrastructure around, you know, post-acute care and, you know, assisted living, independent living type communities that we're traditionally accustomed to. I think we're not going to be able to accommodate that with the mm-hmm. growing aging population. So I think you, we're going to see a bigger push into, you know, aging in place and, and care at the home. I think, you know, even like models, like for example, for dialysis, right. You know, when you think about dialysis, it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a big burden on our healthcare system. I think uh, you know, people who are uh, on dialysis have to have to go, you know, multiple times a week. Um, and the, the you know, there's really two major players in that space. Um, and how do we look at more, you know, delivery models where they can get dialysis treatment in the home? Uh, right. Interesting stuff going on there. Um, I think. Yeah, again, bringing the clinician to the home, telemedicine uh, obviously is a part of that. Um, and then also, um, you know, a- allowing technology to empower that relationship. You know, right. I, um, I recently, met, recently met a company that's doing some really cool things around uh, in the Medicare, Medicaid space, but also how they communicate with their plan members, right? And mm. they focus on a large Hispanic population, and all the data shows that that population typically spends a lot of time on a cell phone and does a lot of SMS communication. But when you think mm-hmm. about it, most plans don't talk to their members by SMS. It's all right. done through like a mobile app or uh, a website. And you know, something as simple as that is you know, creating better communication with their plan members, tailoring it to their cultural uh, you know, norms and, and you know, being able to talk their language and making sure they also have support for multilingual. Uh, so I think, yeah, but just the, how the whole delivery system and how we're accustomed to seeing care being delivered and right. providers and payers communicate with those they care for. I think you know, there's going to be a big shift there. I love it. I love it, Dan. Yeah, no, I, I, I believe in that vision and I, I, I see that happening as well. And so it's exciting to see, you know, uh, you know, the pieces in place that are coming together, obviously, you know, with your leadership and, and you know, huge, huge, uh, huge solutions that you guys are bringing to the space. Um Dan, I guess one more, only one more question for you. And uh, I guess before I ask it, what's a good way for our listeners to engage with you, say on social media, if you'd like that to occur? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm pretty active on, on on Twitter and LinkedIn, and my Twitter handle is just my first two initials, D A, and then my last name, T R I G U uh, B. Uh, that's my Twitter handle. I'm, I'm usually there, and then LinkedIn is always a great place to find me. Um, and then also, if you're interested to learn more about Uber, uh, we have a dedicated uh, website for just Uber Health. So that's uberhealth.com. Uh, and you can certainly always uh, stay up to speed on all the great work that our team is doing on, on that website. Awesome. Awesome. So we'll link to that in the show notes and, and really appreciate that, Dan. And uh, I promise my last question. So my last question is, what do you do on a, on a personal well-being standpoint, maybe like a morning routine or weekly routine that really keeps the engine going? Obviously, you're in a, you know, um, a high-performance role. You're, you're managing a lot. You probably have to stay super resilient. I mean, do you, I know you play basketball in, 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 uh, in college and uh, we're a team captain. I mean, do you still play ball or you, you have a special diet or something? Or just curious on kind of like one thing that really keeps the engine going. Yeah, so, so – uh... Uh, I, I, I need to be doing more is the short answer, but uh, <laughs> I do my best. So, yes, I, I still play basketball every now and then. I got two young kids that keep me pretty active. 
Nice. Um, my wife was an athlete too, so you'll definitely find us at the gym on the weekends, and then I need to do a better job Monday through Friday. But um, yeah, usually the kids keep that that engine running. That's for sure. I love it. I love it, and that's so it's so important. And so, uh, but but um, no, well, so a couple of things, Dan. I really appreciate you taking time and peeling off time out of your busy schedule to do this with us and share your story, share your origin story, share your passions and what you're focused on. And, you know, your vision, your vision for health in the future, which is super fascinating and exciting. And so I uh, just wanted to say thank you. And um, to our listeners out there, this is the Pop Health Show. The show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making other people healthier in this world. Dan, again, thank you so much for making time and for being on the show. My pleasure, Anthony. Thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, look forward to, uh, to reconnecting in, in the, and seeing where we are in a couple of years. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Dan. Really appreciate it. Thanks.